Welcome to Deep Talk, the podcast for advanced English learners who are looking to explore something a little bit deeper. Hello and welcome to episode 20 and our first episode of the new year. I'm Rhiannon. The conversation I've got for you today was a whopper. We recorded for nearly an hour, so we're going to do it in two parts and you can catch part two in the next episode. Before we get to that though, how are you? It is January 2023 as I record this. It is a crisp midwinter day in Edinburgh. Blue skies, a little bit frosty. I've been out and about this morning running errands. I needed to renew my Edinburgh University alumni borrowing card. I have a couple of courses I want to complete this year and access to the uni books will be really helpful. I've not been in the university library since completing my Delta back in 2018, so that was kind of fun. The woman in the main library gave me a set of instructions entirely different to that on the website and then seemed really shocked that I hadn't done any of it in advance. And when I asked her if she knew that the instructions on the website were different, she just said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Like, okay, great. Uh, So Edinburgh University are clearly now recommending mind reading if you want to get an alumni card. Not to worry though, apparently the law library could get me a card the same day, but their machine ended up breaking. So I spent the morning working in the law library while they got it all sorted. All's well that ends well though, because I now have a fresh alumni card and a morning of focused podcast editing under my belt. So a stop by the supermarket on the way home and I was back in time for a coaching call and all is well. I'm also keeping busy with preparations for the deep talk start. We begin on Monday, so we're in final countdown mode, which is always quite stressful for me. Really looking forward to meeting everyone and working with them over the coming 10 weeks. The anticipation is kind of like that first day before like a summer camp or before new school, like so many potential friends to make. If you are on the fence about joining, you really don't have much time left to think about it. We'll be closing doors on Sunday evening. If you are joining me in this podcast any later than two days after the episode is released, sorry babe, you missed it. (laughs) Anyway, let's go on with the show, shall we? My guest this week is Monica. She's an English teacher with an undergrad and master's in linguistics. She's the author of one of my favourite language blogs. I've popped a link in the description. I cannot recommend it enough. It's called Languaging and every article is, I mean, it's just really well written. Monica has such a friendly conversational tone to her writing. It's like talking to a friend, but a friend who references things. Her blogs are really well researched and they're always based on data. Seriously, go subscribe right now. And we're talking today about heritage speakers. If you've never heard that term before, fear not, Monica will explain it to you, and why heritage speakers' linguistic skills are often really misunderstood. In this and in part two, Monica goes into some of the factors which cause heritage speakers to, I guess, differ from our expectations of what they should sound like. So enough from me then, let's get started. Our guest this week is Monica. Monica is a co-founder of Language Snaps and the writer of the blog Languaging. She has a bachelor's and master's in linguistics. In her spare time, she likes to play with her cat, Biscuit, go to the beach and cook. This week, Monica has chosen a fascinating blog post from her own blog, all about heritage speakers. Monica, could you start us off by telling us what this blog post is all about? Of course. So this blog post was born 
truly, like I said in the introduction of me just being bored one night on YouTube <laughs> and randomly getting suggested like Heidi Klum's daughter for Vogue Germany. And I was like, sure, let's practice my German listening skills <laughs> and watch the video. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is so interesting. This girl here killing it in German, like speaking it so well, because I'm assuming she grew up in the US, which I later learned is true. And then I scrolled down to the comments and everyone was like brutally attacking her German, being like, oh, I can't believe she like switched into English for some words. Oh, I can't believe like people consider this good German are this like level so low now and stuff like that. And it just reminded me so much of my childhood, my life to this day <laughs> of just everyone around me kind of assuming my level proficiencies in the languages that I grew up surrounded by. And so the article kind of goes into what heritage speakers are, which we can define soon. And yeah, about all the misconceptions around them. Yeah, I, I mean, I found the whole, as many of your blog posts, I found it all incredibly interesting. But that, just those comments online, they just felt so familiar. I mean, just the negative and this is not the point of your article at all your article was about something else entirely but that just struck me in the first couple of lines of like Jesus do do we need to like pull people down straight away like criticizing language but anyway that's besides the point the whole thing is about heritage speakers you yourself are a heritage speaker um what's her name uh Lenny Lenny Klum is a Heidi Klum's daughter is a heritage speaker of German can you tell us a little bit, like try to explain what is a heritage speaker to someone who hasn't heard that term before? It's truly so hard to define. It's like notoriously hard to define. Like every research paper starts with like, this term is notoriously hard to define. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really hard to define just because it's like a massive range. Right. But what it basically is, is a child who grows up in a home where a language is spoken, which is different than the language that's dominant in like the outside community. So an example <laughs> to make it more clear. So I grew up in a home where English, Spanish and Swiss German were spoken because my dad is Swiss, my mom is Colombian. And then I grew up in the US. So the outside community even though I grew up in Miami, is very largely like English-based, English-dominant. Right. I went to school completely in English, stuff like that. So it makes me a heritage speaker because I have this cultural and linguistic tie to Swiss German and to Spanish. But because I grew up in the U.S. and didn't have sufficient input from either language, right. which we'll get into soon, I didn't acquire it to the level of someone who had grown up in Switzerland or in Colombia with just those languages. Of course. That makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think so. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. I guess some of our listeners might be wondering why simply the term bilingual isn't used. Am I right in thinking that that would be to distinguish you as a heritage Spanish speaker from me as a Spanish speaker who has learned it in school in the UK. I'm not related to anyone Spanish, that kind of thing. Is that right? Exactly. So you can use bilingual to describe either of us, but 
heritage speaker usually or always comes with like a cultural tie to the language through your heritage. So that's the main difference. But then later on, we can talk about like the linguistic differences because there are linguistic differences between whether you're a heritage speaker or whether you learn it in a classroom. (laughs) So, So interesting. So interesting. So if that's the definition of heritage speakers, I mean, do you know any data on like how many of these people exist? There's definitely so many, especially like I live in Miami and I would say I know more heritage speakers than non-heritage speakers (laughs) because in Miami, to give you an idea, 66.7% of the population speaks only Spanish at home. And that's just Spanish. (laughs) Less than 25% of the people in Miami speak only English. So... There's a lot of languages going on in Miami and it's really, it begs us to question this idea of like an English speaking country and all of those things, which is really interesting. But Miami is not like unique in that way. Mm -hmm. So in the US, I know it's like one in five. So like 20% of Americans speak a language other than English at home. So a lot of them will have children who are likely to be heritage speakers. Sometimes they're not just because sometimes parents choose to speak English at home. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of societal and there's like pressure around that because there's a lot of misconceptions about, oh, the child will be like so behind in school if you speak the heritage language, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, in conclusion, there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of heritage (laughs) speakers and all over the world like people are moving more and more so it's not just in the U.S. it's around the world that there's more and more heritage speakers. Yeah I mean you can see it just walking around the streets of Edinburgh I know there's a primary school not far from me and on the wall in their like playground they have hello written in all the languages of that school and there are like 20 languages Um, and yeah Mm -hmm. and I mean you know, yes, we're a city, but we're hardly a big city. <laughs> we're a small city, and already you can see that the primary schools and the high schools have, you know, tons of languages being spoken in them. Um, exactly. Which is yeah. which is really exciting, and it's interesting what you said about how some parents choose not to use their language with their with their children. That to me strikes me as a little bit old fashioned. I think if I'm right, that was the kind of advice parents were given maybe in the 90s like you know try to use English English is what your child needs like try to is that I mean I don't know what you know of that I think in the UK that was definitely the fashion to only use English with your children in kind of the 80s and 90s and more recently a kind of a more relaxed sort of whatever works best for you and your household and your family is probably the way to go attitude has been adopted right I think in the US it like if I look at my Instagram feed, it's like all of these amazing like bilingual speech and language pathologists, all these amazing like bilingual teachers and stuff like that. And that gives me this hope that like, oh, things are changing. But in actuality, I would guess that it's probably not changing so much or as rapidly as we'd hope because there's still a lot of... um yeah, like stigma and discrimination against Spanish speakers in the U.S. And with that, I think it's like a 
it's very understandable to want to like or feel the need to downplay that part of you when you move to another country and you just want to like start again. A quick reminder that your chance to get involved in deep talks like this one is fast coming to an end. Doors for my coaching and discussion program, Deep Talk, close on Sunday the 15th of January. Over the course of the 10 weeks, you'll develop into a more self-assured and controlled English speaker, challenging your language with complex topics and rewriting the rules you have in your head about what makes someone fluent in English. I'd love you to be there. Um, so going back to this, uh, Lenny, I'm pronouncing it Lenny. Do you know how her name is pronounced? I have Lenny? no idea. I truly okay. learned about her that one day and like didn't know about her before. Don't know about her now. <laughs> like, I mean, I learned about her in your in your blog. So yeah. So Heidi Klum's daughter is doing this Vogue Germany interview. She's speaking in German. And then these comments are, you know, you make a really good point right at the end of your article where it's like, clearly she speaks German she's just done a whole interview in German like you can't do a whole interview in German if you don't speak German um and yet there are these comments from presumably kind of native German speakers saying oh she made x mistake she made y mistake she pronounced this wrong she couldn't remember this word had to use English and that all begs the question of like what do people think heritage speakers should sound like because it sounds as if they think they should be perfect and I'm using air quotes for the podcast which doesn't have a video um <laughs> I'm using air quotes because I mean you and I both know that perfect of any language doesn't really mean anything but that's clearly what's expected so yeah tell us a bit more about what the popular perception of heritage speakers is rather than the actuality yeah before just something that I thought of when you were saying that is that mm -hmm. there's such an irony in this idea that like in order to write about the mistakes she's making you have to understand them <laughs> you <Right>. know yeah. <laughs> and so it's like you're just being a bad person exactly so that's one thing to keep in mind the other thing is that for heritage speakers, like the context matters so much. And I feel like people don't realize that because I mean, first, I mean, most people don't even know the term heritage speaker. So I can't be like, there's only one label for everyone because that doesn't even seem relevant. <laughs> mm -hmm. But for example, um, heritage speakers, if they grow up in Miami, speak only Spanish at home, that's the situation. That baby and that child is going to acquire phonology as if it's their first language because it is their first language and yeah. so when they speak when they're 15 20 whatever they're probably going to sound quote-unquote native right and so there's this huge perception that like a certain accent equals a certain proficiency in a language mm -hmm. and with heritage speakers it's really interesting because it's like the flop or like the opposite side 
of all these discussions because for me at least with Swiss German, I speak it and people are like, oh, you sound Swiss, but I can't communicate in the language. So when people are like, oh, I'd do anything to have like a native speaker accent and there's reasons for feeling that way, but I also feel kind of like, oh, do you know what I do to be able to like communicate in this language? Like you have what actually matters. Yeah. And I just have like the superficiality of it. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think that accent really makes people think, oh, like they speak the language. (laughs) Yeah. And stuff like that. Whereas it's not that simple. So if you grow up until the age of, I don't know, whenever you enter school, like five, six, only in Spanish, that's a good amount of time to learn a language, Mm -hmm. but you don't fully acquire a language in five years. You continue Mm -hmm. acquiring it. And so if you go into school and now your whole life is like in English, (laughs) it's like such a quick switch. All of your friends are now in English, all of your homework, you go to school for so many hours a day. It's like such a complete shift that's going to affect your language which I think people don't realize because in other countries there is bilingual education and there mm-hmm. is a difference in like how the two languages are treated in a lot of countries like you have education in multiple languages and it's seen as like the norm whereas for that girl in Miami <laughs> it wasn't the norm in her case And so that impacts things. The fact that she knows how to say everything about geography and math and science and all these things in English, that's great. But then a lot of her Spanish vocabulary is probably going to be like tied to the house, to the home, to things you speak to with your family. I don't know how to say... Like, I always joke that my Spanish is that of, like, a old lady <laughs> because I spoke it mainly with old ladies, you know, <laughs> with my grandma and all her friends. So I don't know how to, like, curse or say anything, like, taboo in Spanish because, like, I never needed to, you know? And so for, like, heritage speakers, it's common. You just know what you know with your family. You talk about cooking. You talk about the family. You talk about your cat. And all of those things are so beautiful. But maybe you don't know how to talk about like math or science in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And instead of being like, well, why don't you know it? Your mother is Colombian. Why not ask like, doesn't this make perfect sense? (laughs) Like, doesn't it make perfect sense that they were educated and learned all of those things in one language? Why on earth would they know it in another just because of who their parents are? Right. Yeah. Oh, I can see your cat behind you. Hi, Biscuit. (laughs) 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 That discussion reminds me of the kind of things I often talk about with my clients who are not heritage English speakers. They are bilingual English speakers. They have learned it, generally speaking, as adults. And what I often have to kind of deal with or what we often have to deal with is this expectation that whatever I can do in Italian, I should be able to do in English. And which, I mean, as soon as you examine it, it falls apart. But it, it's such a strong belief that until questioned, 
my clients really hold on to it. And then even when questioned, they often really hold on to it for a little while after that. Because we just have this idea of bilingualism as being the term that comes up in your article is this balanced bilingualism. And then I was speaking to my partner about it and they suggested another one <laughs> in case you want to bring another term to the linguistics, which is this like mirrored bilingualism where everything has the opposite equal kind of in the other language. Um, whatever I can do, whether it is deliver a presentation or chat to my neighbor or, you know, uh, order a coffee, I should be able to do it. Not only do it, but also do it with the same ease and the same idiomaticity. That's not a word. Um, but like, it should be as natural and as easy in my second language. And I mean, the fact that people who are learning, in this case, English, from the age of like 14, 15, think this, it is no wonder that people think that heritage speakers should be able to do all this stuff. Um, because, you know, you've been learning it since you were a baby. How could you not <laughs> deliver a confident presentation in Spanish? How ridiculous that you wouldn't be able to do that. Surely it's just like, you know, in your genes, or you just picked up on it by the way that your parents spoke as if that was at all relevant to like a professional environment I don't know I'm blabbering but yeah the misconceptions really are everywhere they are and it's unfortunately like not in our heads a lot of the time like these are things that people say explicitly right. <laughs> like at every family gathering like people just can I curse yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's another way of saying talk shit <laughs> talk shit Great they, yeah they just talk shit about my Spanish about my cousin's Spanish and stuff like that and it's just the most natural thing in the world and it's just I don't know even now like I clearly got triggered by seeing another heritage speaker getting called yeah. out like it's something that's so personal because it's something that you've experienced like since childhood and it's something like so close to you as language I think that throughout my childhood at least like the hardest thing was what other people would say to me and about me and just taking care of my neighbor the other day like his aunt is here from Spain and she was saying to him or like around him like mm. similar messages that I got when I was younger. So she was saying like, mm. no, I'm not sure he understands me when I speak Spanish. And I was like, no, like the kid clearly understands you when he's, <laughs> when you speak Spanish. She's like, yeah, but he just, he just doesn't want to speak it. And I was like, yeah, but like there's certain like strategies to make him comfortable. You can give him alternatives, say like, oh, what do you think? Is it called this or this? Or, you know, you can like phrase things for him to make it easier and like really mm -hmm. reward him for what he is doing. But it's all, all of this comes from viewing language from like this monolingual perspective because monolinguals only know how to do everything in one language because that's all they know how to do. Yeah. <laughs> like bilinguals literally do so much more with language, potentially double with language. And so even if this kid only understands Spanish, like why are we saying only? Like oh that's gosh, the crazy yeah. part. Most people don't just understand Spanish. And 
Yeah, if you learn it in the home, you're learning all of this, like really rich language, you're learning all of the, like, colloquial elements of like your dialect, but you're also like, learning about your family members in their language, which is really nice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so like, for me, I, the really big turn that I had was doing my master's in linguistics and learning about all this stuff because before it would like really get me down. <laughs> but then mm. after I realized like, ah, oh, this is all like statistically probable. <laughs> like <laughs> my language, I'm not a failure. I am just the norm. <laughs> like, wow, what a comforting thought, you know? <laughs> so after my master's, my view of language changed completely. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to start like measuring my ability to speak a language by the quality of my relationships. Because yeah. like with my grandmother, I had like the most beautiful, deepest relationship with her. And it was fully in Spanish. So who gives a fuck <laughs> that Amen. I like misplaced an article that I messed up the grammar like who gives a flying fuck like I had such a deep relationship with her because my Spanish was so good like not in spite of it yes. and so with so many students it's like if we like me and them if we talk every single week if we've talked about so many different topics if we have a nice relationship now we know each other like, how could you ever say your English is bad? <laughs> like, that's an insult to our relationship, you know? Yes. So I think all of these things, they're like mindset shifts. And it's not saying like, oh, grammar doesn't matter. Like, no one's saying that. <laughs> Truly, no one's saying that. We're saying that you can acknowledge and love that, like, you're linguistically whole today. And then if in the future you feel like, oh, if I one day am like, wow, I'd love to conquer the subjunctive in Spanish. I can do that. <laughs> but I'm not going to be like, oh, I hate my Spanish now because I don't know the subjunctive. Like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> and when you start measuring your language based on, in your case, it's relationships. And I think that's such a powerful one because really that you can't fake that. You can't fake a connection with someone. You know, you and once you've got it, you can't deny it, which I think is really powerful. But equally, some people might be focusing instead on what they can do and what they can get out of it. Have you got the result you needed from that interaction? Exactly. Well, then your language was good enough. Like that's the definition of good enough. You got what you needed. You communicated. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a radical thought, I think. Because that's not how languages are presented. Languages are presented as linguistic items to be studied and learned. And that even if on paper you laugh at that idea, somewhere deep down it has gotten into your, your brain and your soul. And that is still how so many people judge their own languages. And unpicking that is my job and really fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But like you said, you can unpick it because I truly think that like your 
like throughout my life, there was a part of me that knew that people were wrong. <laughs> like I just, yeah. I knew it. I knew it in my soul. And then learning this linguistic stuff, I was like, wow, wow. See? I was right. See? <laughs> people have Do written I... papers proving that I'm right. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, what? I spoke Swiss German as a child, but I don't anymore. It's called language attrition. Look it up. <laughs> Common for heritage speakers. <laughs> you know so like it was very liberating for me to learn all of those things because now it just you view things differently like now it's really interesting (laughs) going into like family dynamics and stuff because I can hear what they're saying and like be like okay these are all the beliefs that they're working under Mm -hmm. and I don't subscribe to that. Like the other day, I was writing my grandma's caretaker like a really nice card because she's moving away. Mm-hmm. And then I put effort into it. It was very cute. And she and my mom read it and they were both like, we had no idea your Spanish was so good. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it didn't come from my Spanish being good. It came from my ideas being good. And like, yes. my ideas come from my soul, not from my language, you know? So it's very much like why are we so we're just focusing on all the wrong things with language with language teaching thanks to monica for that you can catch part two in the next episode coming out at the end of the month If anything resonated or made you go, ooh, do send me an email. I'd love to know your responses to this and all the other episodes. Do go and check out Monica's blog as well, Languaging. It is consistently fascinating and really well researched. Definitely worth a subscribe. I am a big fan. For now though, it's goodbye from me. I've been Rhiannon. This has been Deep Talk. Have a wonderful day.